Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise that's yeah right. this that's is right. this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear land Central Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. Uh, it was, it was a benefit tacked on because of the kind of accounts that we have with our bank. I see. Uh, senior like, well, citizen, very cool. I can hear the listeners now screaming at their iPods. Talk about aviation, aviation. Um, well, money, you know, it, it, that money is what makes airplanes <laughs> fly. So, I mean, That's we are true. tangentially, anyway, talking about aviation. Spending money is a very important subset of aviation. Uh, it's not lift over drag. It's not magic. It's moolah. Yeah. But it doesn't take a lot of moolah. A listener sent us a, uh, this is from the forums. A listener uh, turned us on to this. Uh, he just included an image of one particular aircraft. Um, it's kind of funky looking. This is from listener Sven. Um, are you guys looking at this? Uh, yeah. This, yeah. It, uh, it's it's probably, I don't know, I'm not familiar with this particular aircraft, but my guess is some sort of one-off uh, amateur-built aircraft. Uh, and uh, do either of you familiar with this? Uh, are either of you familiar with this aircraft? I, I've seen something like this before, but I can't place it, and I, I certainly can't come yeah. up with a name. At first blush, it reminded me of a Dykes Delta. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay, yeah, because uh, I can see that it might that might be like a Delta Wing kind of thing. It's not, it's not a Dykes Delta, but that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. It, so it appears to be a metal, aluminum or metal plane. Um, it's very small, very very uh, short from nose to tail, and uh, and the. Uh, the the uh, the tail actually I'm just describing this for listeners is uh, sort of a continuation of the cockpit. So the from the cowling yeah the vertical <laughs> yeah the vertical of the pit tail um, the from the from the cowling up front uh, it rises with the canopy and then just instead of dipping back down again it just continues rising straight up to the uh, point of the uh, vertical tail and uh, and and very short i mean the distance from the cockpit to the to the tail to the back of the tail is probably well from this picture from this perspective it looks like it might be it could be less than to the to the front of the airplane so it's a very interesting looking airplane if i was going to quip a, a name for it out of thin air and, and there's got to be an idea it's got an eaa tag on it so but i would call it the alumagami mhm Origami and aluminum. Yeah, all folded up. Did you look at the video? We don't supposed to talk about videos, but I'm going to. Um, The underlying video here um, is a a piece of EAA uh, promotional video from their website uh, that has clips from very, very early uh, uh, editions of the, uh, I keep wanting to call it Oshkosh or AirVenture, but this is like before either of those two names. Um, This is from from probably from the Rockford or even the Milwaukee days. And... uh, some cool footage of some, uh, in some ways it looks just exactly like the current air, you know, some of those airplanes are still coming to AirVenture, uh, but uh, some neat footage there of early days of, uh, of AirVenture. This is a big year for me for AirVenture. This will be my 20th consecutive attendance wow. at uh, the Oshkosh oh. Fly-In. And uh, so uh, 
I don't know whether I get a 20-year pin or something. I just got my, I, told, I mentioned this on the podcast, I got my 20 AOP, AOPA pin. And uh, I don't know if EAA does something like that, but, uh, but this will be my 20th in a row. I'm very proud of that. And uh, I can't imagine oh, missing one, so go ahead. No, as, as well you should be proud yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so thanks to listener Sven for this picture of an odd airplane that, uh, what'd you call it again, Dave? You called it the uh, Aragami. Alumagami. 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 Well, that's the title of the episode right there. Alumagami. We're done. Talk to you guys later. How are you, uh, you going to spell it? Uh, I don't know. A-L-U-M-A-G-A-M-I. Yeah, that works. That works. What else did we have here? There was another, uh, let's see now. Oh, I know. This is uh, my, my beloved uh, uh, Osprey uh, uh, V-22. Oh, had a little uh, adventure recently. Um, this story is from a couple weeks back. but uh, So, uh, uh, God bless them, but the Marines were going to show off the uh, Osprey by having it appear at a uh, some sort of uh, school event, some sort of city. On a, it was going to land on this baseball, football, soccer type field. And uh, and and as it came in over the tree line, uh, the uh, the the rotor wash um, just blew up all sorts of debris and apparently broke some limbs off the tree. And the debris in the limbs hit some spectators, and got kind of ugly. Um, and no one was killed or anything, but apparently, you know, some- if you could put a smoke source above each of the rotors, yeah, when hovering flight, you would have a live on-site demonstration of tornadoes in the northern and southern hemisphere. You could well, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of amazed that they did. They weren't more aware that this kind of thing was going to happen because he came right in over the tree line. I mean, he was pretty low as he, he crossed in over the field. And, uh, um, you know, on one level, I mean, I got, you know, nice of them to come and show off the aircraft and try to entertain the folks. But uh, you'd think they would have been a little bit more careful about this kind of thing. I don't know. If I, have you heard any follow-up on this? Has there been any repercussions? Did, uh, no, I haven't heard anything. I, I, I can't imagine this wasn't authorized. but uh, I'm sure it was, but you know, a little bit more planning would, would, would come in handy on some yeah, of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, pretty amazing to see, like Dave said, tornadoes. The prop wash was pretty dramatic. Um, and it's the, the video. This is a, a home video that someone uh, gave to CBS News. The... Uh, yeah, at the beginning of the video, you see the uh, the uh, the osprey coming, sort of approaching the tree line, and you can hear the crowd going ooh, uh, you know, and you, and you kind of imagine this is kind of a magical, cool moment, and then just as it it gets kind of its nearest point to the tree line, all the debris starts to get kicked up, and it gets pretty pretty dramatic the, looking. The ooh ah is morphing up. Yeah, yeah, and the video continues to run for a while. You actually see the first responders arriving uh, on the scene, and. Uh, Medic. Yeah, helping folks out. But anyways, my poor Osprey is just uh, having a hard time these days. And uh, you guys aren't as fond of the Osprey as I am, are you? I've always well, thought they were pretty cool since the first time I saw a developmental one fly back in the early 80s at Andrews Air Force Base. It's like, uh, But man, long time making it happen. Bell I, is... Is Bell still in development on the 609? Or yeah, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, I think it's been longer than 20 years. Um, oh, it's been, is, yeah. It's, yeah, this basic technology has been under, under development. And that's kind of my problem with the whole thing is, is there's obviously some issues. Not Forgetting for a moment trying to land on a baseball field. Um, and, and we know some of those issues. Um, they are you know, being used operationally, I believe, Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever. 
obviously being used uh, domestically here in the States, um, without, you know, any serious mishaps uh, uh, other than, you know, of course, landing on baseball fields. Um, but uh, the, the, the development process was so lengthy and, and you know, there was a, several fatals uh, um, during uh, uh, some of the testing and evaluation uh, uh, periods. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of wonder if it's still an unfinished technology. Uh, the, the, the first exposure for me to, to tilt rotor technology was uh, uh, here's this developmental aircraft. In a few years, we'll have these flying in 30 and 50 seat civilian versions. Right. And then they can fly from city center to city center because you'll only need a heliport. And they'll be as fast as a regional airliner and be able to fit into the same tight spot as a, as a large helicopter. And, like, that's a great idea. Uh, we're going to put one of these in your neighborhood. Oh, not my neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which was, not, you know, not no my baseball how, field. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, no matter how good this idea was, nobody wanted the, the idea landing in their neighborhood. So, uh, but yeah. it's still... I see, you know, Bell's BA six oh nine. The website's uh-huh. still alive. Uh, now, the six oh nine would be the so-called civilian version of this, and, right? Uh, yeah, that's is, you can drop the so-called. That's a, a, a corporate aircraft variant of the MV twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's quite a bit smaller. Quite smaller? Smaller. What do, do they? What what kind of capacity are they shooting for? Uh, six to eight, I think. Really? Seems like a lot of technology to carry eight people around. Um, I think they're just shooting to get it to market after all these years. I mean, we've been hearing about, you know, these VTOL, um, well, these, these tilt rotor aircraft, I should say, uh, for going on 20 years, going on 30 years, uh, as far as uh, both military and commercial applications, and they just haven't gotten over center. Um, I, again, you know, I come back to the unfinished technology thing, but I kind of wonder also if the uh, the city center to city center concept might not have have uh, uh, kind of dried up and, and, and blown away uh, with a downwash, as it were. Um, I don't know why, because it, it still would seem to make some sense. Um, maybe you know, security issues, things like that, have have. Uh, uh, um, Come to come to the fore. I don't know. Um, but you know, we're not going to need this kind of service because the Terrafugia is going to kind of obviate the whole thing. And uh, right, right. yeah. Right. So of course, I forgot about that. Your rotable aircraft will make it so that you'll just uh, you know drive. Oh, anyways, welcome, folks, there, to episode uh, one hundred. No, I'm sorry, Jeff. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, and there was some news on that front uh, this week, but we can come back to that. Okay, welcome, folks, to episode one hundred ninety-two of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. At last. At last. We've had a hard time getting this one hap- to happen uh, with one kind of delay or another. We're recording this episode finally on Saturday morning, June 19th, 2010. Uh, it's, uh, it's 9 o'clock uh, uh, in the morning, and I, just, I don't usually tell you the time of day, but that becomes relevant in a moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices out there is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, but uh, it's it's kind of early in the morning out here. And yeah, I, I recognize that, and and uh, um, publicly acknowledge your sacrifice. Oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, sacrifice is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> also, I finally drug him off those nickel slots. Yeah, that's yeah. 
quarter yeah. slots. What do you think I am? Some sort of uh, 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 never mind. Uh, Dave Higdon's out there too. That's uh, Dave is joining us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you? Oh, just lovely this morning. Got my caffeine. Got my needle. My IV bag. We're good to go. <laughs> Okay, uh, and uh, and I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you this morning from high atop the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, so uh, I'm back in my room. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast, or at least listeners from a year ago, uh, will remember that we talked about the fact that I managed to get myself a hotel room here when I was on this project last year, uh, overlooking uh, the airport here, the big, uh, the big international airport. And once again, they gave me a really nice room in almost the exact same spot. So I'm up here overlooking the, I'm on the 15th floor overlooking the, I think they call it the West Ramp of McCarran Airport. It's the GA ramp. This is the GA side of the airport. Yeah, that would that would fit. And we've got our, uh, uh, the most notable aircraft thing out the window here is the half dozen uh, uh, 737s that uh, we believe are the uh, Area 50, uh, 51 uh, airline. Yeah. Uh, and if you watch, you actually from time to time see it just looks like an airline. You see a bunch of people, although they don't have, they don't have jetways. They, they all walk out onto the uh, ramp and, and go up a st- staircase into the airplane. And then the airplane taxis off, and another one taxis back in, and they unload the same way. And uh, um, So I guess there's a lot of CIA agents in the world, huh? Because they all, no, that's not what it is. They're hardworking Americans who are serving our nation in the military of one sort of another. We would we would tell you where they are, Jack, but then we'd have to kill you. <laughs> you'd have to kill me. Um, but because I'm in uh, in Las Vegas, uh, this is uh, West Coast time, and uh, so it's six o'clock in the morning here, um, and uh, that's the, um, so that's my that's my blatant uh, uh, bid for sympathy. Oh uh, well, um, what's going on in the world of aviation? Let's see now. Um, you said there was Terra Fujian news. This is not on our yeah, list, but uh, there was now there was I saw a press release um, late in the week um, talking about how the FAA had um, uh, agreed to give the Terra Fujia a uh, I think it was a fourteen hundred twenty pound uh, max gross weight, even though it is not a uh, an amphibian aircraft uh, per the uh, LSA rules. Uh, allowing slightly higher gross weights uh, from what was it, 1340 or 1320 or whatever it is, uh, standard for a, a land-based LSA. Is that the same uh, weight uh, benefit that they give amphibs? That, yes. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, exactly oh, okay. right. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, that's that's good news for the Terra Fugia people. Um, I don't know, you know how that weight's going to impact uh, um yeah, you know, operational uh, limitations and things like that. I don't have enough. I don't have any numbers in front of me on that. But uh, I was trying to. Figure, I'm sorry. News. Yeah, I was trying to figure what we, we, we can't we can't call it amphib because obviously it's not amphib, but it's like uh, we'll call it the trans the transformers class. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, but well, and uh, that's that was the purpose of the uh, weight request, the waiver request, was the uh, added weight. Uh, needs to go into the structure to meet highway uh, mm-hmm. rules, which has been kind of my point of fascination for a long time, is accommodating the, uh, the, the, the regulatory requirements for a light sport aircraft and something that's going to be, you know, uh, something targeted for mass production in a mass audience, quote-unquote. Right. Uh, meeting the highway requirements and 
now they know how much weight they've got to work with. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I was just sitting here just, just now pondering the hypocrisy, my hypocrisy, um, of uh, being fascinated by the, uh, the Osprey and left cold by the uh, Terra Fugia. Uh, I don't know. It's like two oddball technologies, um, one of which I admire for its oddballness, and the other I think is kind of just kind of like, huh? I don't know. I mean, would you, I don't know, how, how, I don't know how to characterize this question. W- would you want to own and fly one of these things? A Terrafugia? I don't know, is the quick answer. I mean, I, I certainly see the utility um, from a, a cost-benefit standpoint. It, it would almost make more sense to just have a beater car at, at one location or another where you, you yeah. plan to go on a regular basis. Uh, the flip side of which is... Um, this does give you the ability to store the vehicle at home as mm-hmm. opposed to hangering it or tying it down. Um, and, um, you know, that may be certainly a, an attraction to a number of people. Um, yeah, it's not something I'm going to want to drive to the mall, the grocery store, or the nightclub. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I might want to drive it to the nightclub just for grins, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's 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 another topic. Yeah, but, for, then, for but then you took your BMW to the Corvette party, so yeah, yeah we yeah, know your bias here. All right, yeah, yeah. you're just a troublemaker. Um, I'm just a troublemaker. I just like to throw bombs. You're a mixer. Um, that's what they call it. you're a mixer. Anybody yeah. know that reference? Come on. No. All right, we'll come back to that. that. You'll have uh, to do that one off off uh, off the air. Okay. Um, so yeah, you'd like it for the I you know I just so I, I think about. You know, if, if my car could fly, that would be really cool, all right? Um, I, and I, well, wouldn't, I would like that. You just that. need to get a different car, that's all. Well, yeah, no, no. My, <laughs> if my car could fly, that would be cool, all right? But, but having my airplane drive on the roads just doesn't do it for me, you know? It's just it, – and that's the thing for me is that, you know, they talk about this is a – what do they say? It's not a flying car. It's a rotable aircraft, all right? And, and I guess that's true, and that's my issue here, is that it's kind of goofy. I mean, why do you want to take an airplane on the public roads? There's just so many reasons why that doesn't make sense to me. Well, and, I, again, I come back to you know, storage issues. You don't want to store it at the airport, store it at home. Uh, another thing is, you know, hey, um, you're, you're out trying to fly it somewhere now. Admittedly, an LSA would not be my first choice for a co- cross-country airplane. And I think Mr. Higgin would, would be able to testify to that uh, uh, in a court of law. But uh, um, if you're, you are trying to go somewhere in it and the weather caves on you, you can land, um, fold everything up, and, and motor off down the road carefully to your destination and, and perhaps still get there on time. Um, so, you know, I kind of see that, too. Um, you know, turn it over to our readers to come up with some other ideas for, for how and why a, a roadable aircraft might make some sense. Uh, readers, listeners. Thank you. Uh, uh, but... Um, uh, I don't know. We'll, ha- we'll have to wait and see. I mean, they seem to be motivated and, and financed well enough to get this thing to market. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see what, what happens at that point. Speaking and, of and, and go ahead, flying, it, flying it, just quick and dirty, definitely interested in flying it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and getting a check out and watching some other people get some airtime on it before and, and, and seeing how it actually works in transition. No pun intended. Uh, and then we'll go from there. But but it is Jeb alluded to, and I'm I'm kind of a 
I'm kind of a nickel dime cost versus Benny uh, airplane shopper. And for the money, not just to the, the, this aircraft or a rotable aircraft, but a, a number of the LSAs, they're not going to fit my budget and use profile. Uh, no. That said, there are a number of legacy LSAs that are definitely going to fit my use profile when I can no longer hold a medical. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the concept of rotable aircraft, of course, is one that I practice every day. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Speaking of transformer category aircraft, um, I've heard people reference the Icon a number of times recently. Has Mm. there been some news? Apparently, they've got one on display in the concourse at, I don't know if it's LaGuardia or JFK, but one of those New York airports has an Icon, apparently, um, in the uh, the terminal. Um, And uh, somewhere else, someone was talking to me about an Icon. Um, Icon being the uh, the the sort of it's not rotable, but it's uh, what it's an amphib that's yeah. that's got kind of a with a difference. I don't know. Um, how would you describe? Well, it's an amphib LSA with folding wings. Yeah, um, and, uh, you and, can uh, get a trailer to tow it home. Uh, it's not meant to be driven home, but you can fold the wings up, put it on a trailer, and stick it in a garage. Uh, so that you're not stuck hangering at some place or, uh, you know, leaving it tied down at the lake's edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, Jeb, there's a model that I think makes a little bit more sense. The mm-hmm. idea of making the aircraft a little bit easier to trailer or to tow. Sure. Um, yeah. And that does make some sense. Um, uh, Tara Fujia, I, you know, I, and I don't, uh, other than, you know, trying to solve the quintessential problem of, of, uh, a single vehicle that is that performs well on ground on the ground as well as in the air. Uh, I'm not sure what the the final motivation is behind the Terrafugia. The the Icon um, uh, kind of strikes me the same way. Uh, okay, um, we have a, an LSA, we have an airplane that can land on on the land, we have an airplane that can land on the water, but we have several of those. Um, and I would guess that there's probably at least one other model out there that. Uh, if if not with foldable wings, that certainly the wings can be pulled, you know, without a whole lot of uh, 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 drama, uh, and, and folded and, and put the whole thing put on a trailer and off you go. Um, I, I, I guess another I'm, solution too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off you go, so to speak. Um, but uh, no, I, I just don't know, you know, what the market is, what the the motivation is behind the uh, the icon. It's a slick looking airplane. Um, if I were to to uh, prognosticate on its on its future, I would suggest that it's taking a little bit too long to come to market, and this market will have sorted itself out by the time uh, 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 it gets to the market and it gets it gets certificated and, and on sale. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's always very interesting to watch, and and just one more facet of the uh, uh, the gym that we call uh, trying to make a small fortune in aviation. Start with a large one. There you go. Well, the A5 got a nice shot of uh, free PR recently when uh, CBS's uh, Sunday morning program did a couple of minutes on the Icon A5 uh, on a Sunday where the theme of the episode was advanced design and engineering. And, you know, they looked at the Icon A5 for it's, its... 
beautiful design, very creative, very futuristic, and the mission it was trying to accomplish. But, you know, if you if you really need to take a vehicle with you from airport to airport, let me suggest picking up a surplus Fairchild C one nineteen flying box car. Right. And then you can do like one of the truck companies does on its TV commercial, and that's have somebody land the boxcar on the runway, drop the rear ramp, and back your truck out of it, go <laughs> yeah. do your business, and then when the airplane comes back around, slip back up on the ramp, and off you go again. Yeah, okay. And, and it won't cost all that much. That's right. <laughs> Well, even better, you know. I mean, we're talking about Oshkosh getting ready to head out there, which of course, Oshkosh, of course, um, is you know the aviation is secondary. What Oshkosh, the the gathering at Oshkosh is really about is all of the to show off all of the different ways that people have come up with modifying bicycles to fit them in the back. Of the <laughs> um, it, it's astounding all the different ways that, and of course, now people sell them. I remember back, you know, when I first started going twenty years ago. And I was interviewing people for the air for the newspaper. One of the stories you'd come across every now and then was the latest modification. You know, people had taken a bicycle and chopped it in two and put hinges on it so that they could, you know, then then uh, fold it up and and fit it into the baggage compartment. Now you can buy them from you know, in the in the exhibits area. But uh, uh, so there's a, yet another solution for uh, getting to and from the airport uh, or to and from your airplane wherever it might be. You ought to be able to put a couple of pods under a wing to put a couple of uh, uh, segways. Yeah, yeah. There. You know, yeah. just store the segways one under each wing, uh, like a Grumman albatross that I saw in uh, Grand Cayman Seven Mile Beach years ago, that had uh, replaced the hard points with uh, winches where they could lift up and enclose and store jet skis. Mm-hmm. One on each wing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All, all, all it takes is money. That's right. All it takes is money. Uh, back to that again. Back to that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry to be jacking his four bucks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so let's see now. Uh, back here in uh, in uh, overlooking Las Vegas. Let's see. The sun's been up for about an hour here, and as I check out the window, I'm hearing the uh, the helicopter operations are starting to uh, to uh, get going for the day. Um, uh, it's really cool to watch the helicopters here because they've got their own little flight pattern, and uh, and they they take off over the uh, the west ramp area here, and depart the area, and uh, and when they come back, I was talking about this last year. They come back uh, on the far side of the hotel from the airport, and they come down basically paralleling the uh, Las Vegas Strip, and right after they pass this hotel, they just pull this really hard uh, left turn. Uh, and that puts them into the area of their ramp. I'm sure that hard pull is sort of the the big finish of the ride and uh, gives everybody a thrill. So, so the air the helicopter operations are starting to get going for the day. The uh, the Area 51 airline, there's just no activity over there at all. And it suddenly occurred to me that's probably because it's Saturday. Although I guess they give the captured aliens the weekend off. And uh, uh, well, you know, everybody <laughs> needs a break. Yeah. So. Because I remember when we did this last year, they were coming and going while we were talking. But uh, I guess it wasn't Saturday. Hey, I was at uh, Nashua Airport uh, last Saturday. I had a little, uh, little uh, one of our little uh, UCAP brunches over there, and uh, one of the one of our listeners uh, who was there um, was telling me about a presentation that they had had at uh, at uh, one of his little pilot gatherings there at Nashua. Uh, listener Doug F. Um, told me about this sky radar product that's 
kind of interesting. It's it, and I mostly mentioned because we've been talking a lot about ADSB lately. And here's a, a new ADSB product. I don't know if this is a a, a type that's going to make you know catch on, but apparently you buy this box that you can put on the dash of your airplane, and it is an ADSB receiver, um, and. Uh, and then you can then use your iPhone and perhaps your Android. I don't see that in the text here, but you use your iPhone uh, to be the front end, and your or your iPad, I guess, to be the actual front end to this thing. And uh, and you can get all kinds of weather and terrain and aircraft, I guess, traffic information and whatnot. Right, you can get the uh, uh, B feed uh-huh. and uh, Doppler weather radar feed and. Uh uh, it's basically a, a, a portable ADSB in, <clears throat> excuse me, in receiver that then feeds the uh, graphics to your iPad, iPhone, iPod Touch, whatever. It's early in the morning, David. My goodness. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it's just an. I don't think there's anything earth shaking here, uh, or I mean. I don't point it out because I think it's earth-shaking. It's just an yeah, example. Yeah. Um, we've been talking about this stuff. And uh, uh, skyradar.net uh, is the website if you want to take a look. Yeah, uh, this is interesting. Go ahead. You can download the app for free. You yeah. can try it out. Yeah, and yeah. I'm trying to see what the box might cost. I'm sorry, Jeb. Go ahead. $1,200. Uh, okay. Is that typical of what these sorts of devices are going to cost? No. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is to my knowledge, the first... Uh, Portable ADSB receiver, uh, certainly the one uh, first one I'm avail- uh, I'm aware of, but uh, there will be others, and uh, um, you, know, you may even see uh, um, standalone um, devices. Uh, you may see uh, um, ADSB added to you know the Garmin 796 or something like that. Well, uh, NavWorks was showing uh, uh, its 978 UAT product at Sun and Fun. Uh, that was ADSB out and in, uh, and it was about 2600 bucks. And right next to them in the same booth space was uh, a, a partnering company that had a portable system. And with the display they were offering, I believe it was about 3500 And it was out and in. Uh, how can they do out with a portable device? The uh, power comes from the plug. No, 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 no. How can they legally do out? I thought you know it had to be TSO and all that stuff. Uh, these were not TSO'd. The TSO's were in a the pipeline. They were waiting for the paperwork. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Uh, Nabworks was offering a, a portable standalone in only and a portable, I mean, I'm sorry, a permanently mounted in only and a permanently mounted out only box as well. But those were to be permanently mounted and working with your uh, onboard GPS. Right. Their standalone UAT system had its own GPS built into it. Uh, so the. Uh, that's one of the things that's going to have to shake out here. Uh, and prices, I figure the TSO'd stuff that's been out there so far, like Garmin's early uh, UAT product, uh, 
I'm going to quote a price and I'm going to be wrong if I don't look it up again, but it was less expensive than the uh, Modes transponder option that they offered. And we're seeing TSO units from Australia and England for the Modes uh, 1090 extended squitter stuff come in under 3500 bucks. So, But that's also an in-only solution. So... I expect when it all shakes out, three three to three thousand to five thousand is is not going to be too far out of the ballpark, depending on the solution and whether it has to have its own GPS engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see. Moving on, um, the uh, my friends back in California find themselves in a be- in a mess apparently. Um, uh, and and big disclaimer up front here not not one of us is a cfi so maybe we're not really tuned into this whole issue but uh california has just done a really nutty thing uh that's really endangering flight schools apparently um boy do you guys know anything more about this than i do i mean we should not not really i mean this is apparently you know all, all politics is local and uh what happened apparently is is out in california a couple of flight schools uh that require uh, upfront payment for the training. You kind of I call them puppy farms. Um, apparently folded and uh, took took with them the money, leaving some students high and dry. And and one of these students apparently got the ear of a um, uh, legislator and or uh, uh, um, uh, other other official in California. And California is trying to come up with some rules uh, that would prevent that kind of behavior. Um, According to this AvWeb piece, the, the, the new law would require flight schools to comply with various kinds of oversight and fees meant to protect students from financial losses if a school should suddenly close down. Um, mainly what that entails is a lot of upfront um, uh, licensing and uh, um, uh, escrow type of, of money put, put in uh, uh, by the flight school to ensure that if uh, it or other schools might fail, that there is some pool of of funds to to reimburse students who didn't get all the training that they were supposed to get. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, it may or may not affect individual CFIs. Um, now, the person I spoke to said that, in fact, it does, um, uh-huh. that it, it basically affects anyone who... Uh, there was a weird. There was a weird. Oh, I hear what. I, this is what the person told me. Again, this is all unofficial. But what what I the way it was described to me is that if you were an instructor who was teaching someone who had no intention of becoming commercial, if it was totally recreational, is what I'm getting at here. All right, um, then then they were not subject to this new f- regulation. Um, <laughs> but I don't know right. how you make that distinction. I don't know how you make that distinction either. And here's the other side of the, this is um, um, a lot of these, again, these puppy farms, uh, for any number of reasons, ask their students, their, their uh, customers to pay up front. Um, the traditional flight instructor-student relationship is you pay as you go. Right, yeah. And, and that, would, to me, seems to be a, a, a very strong distinction between what they're trying to prevent from happening in the future and how the real world, world yeah, works. Maybe that's the, the, yeah, maybe that's the selector. Is, uh, you know, I, I'm, totally, I'm totally on board with having some sort of protection for students who are paying up front. Um, you know, the money ought to go into some sort of escrow so that it's safe and so forth and so on. But... Uh, 
but this is this will kill the the flight instruction industry in California. You know, if you know, I mean, I think of even the larger clubs like West Valley. I don't know if they could afford to uh, to uh, you know abide by these rules, um, and uh, let alone the individual. And I'm and as I understand it, even an independent sole proprietor flight instructor has to. If they're going to teach somebody who who has it in their head to become an airline pilot or even fly FedEx packages, all right, they're subject to this regulation, and it's kind of nuts. The, well, you it, know, it, the, the law was originally conceived to target for-profit institutions of higher education, and we've seen them advertised on TV. Uh, you know, uh, get your degree in electronics. Get your degree in in criminal justice and go to work in the system and some of these schools are reputable some of them aren't and some of them were doing things like some of the flight schools requiring upfront tuition payments and when some of these non-aviation schools collapsed in California and we've seen some of these aviation institutions go under in different parts of the country but to California Lawmakers decided, boy, they could do something as a blanket for professional, for-profit higher inst- higher education institutions, and the the blanket dropped over flight instruction, and uh, it, it's it's a little nuts. It, 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 yeah. Do they do they do the same thing with, for example, college tutors? Right. You know, somebody's tutoring you in physics or literature or, or colleges generally. Uh, for yeah. that matter, I mean, uh, um, I'm well, they sure nicely the, exempted the public institutions, right? <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How that? Well, here's another facet of this that that um, I thought I'd just mention here. According to this AdWeb story, uh, the law took effect on January one, yeah, and and the the compliance with this starts on August one. Where the hell were were the 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 trade groups and the and the alphabet soup and and everybody else, when this was under development last year, you don't. Uh, um, this doesn't happen overnight, and all of a sudden we're hearing about this way, way after the fact. Yeah, that does strike me as odd that this, so uh, you know, you know, kind of waited till the last minute to to notice this whole thing. But uh, and that's apparently initially what they're requesting is that uh, is that there be an extension on this August first deadline. Um, but uh, and so apparently there was a meeting um, uh, just last week or the week before um, a hearing in California uh, to just look into this whole thing. And I'm searching. I'm trying to. I'm googling, trying to find out if there's been any any announcements from that meeting. And it sounds like there wasn't. But uh, that they held the hearing and then no no announcements or decisions or anything have been made. Anyways, I think the announcement would be bring your own Vaseline. <laughs> well, okay. On that Shade, note, on that of Max Carrot. <laughs> on that note, all right. We don't have to be lost in space. I can fly the Jupiter two and get us back home to Earth. Warning! 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 Silence, you belligerent bucket of bolts. Doctor Smith, you must not take the controls until you have received a safety briefing. Oh, all right, then. Go ahead. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Silence, you cantankerous clump of cogs! 
Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the spacecraft, uh, airplane. Are you that finished? That is all. What did you that say? That is all. Then yes, shut I up that finished. silly speaker. Oh, where is Jack Hodgson when you need him? You may proceed. All right, then. Here we go. Danger, 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 danger. Uh, let's see now. We got all kinds of off-field landings this week, or all kinds of oddball landings. We got two off-field landings of the week here. First of all, uh, we have a uh, uh, what the story calls a Cessna 210 uh, landed in a Tampa. This is on your your turf, Jeb. Uh, yeah. uh, taken off from Tampa apparently and uh, had an engine failure of some sort and uh, tried to make it back to the airport. Couldn't uh, set it down in a uh, football track and field uh, area of a middle school and uh, basically did a great job with the whole thing. Um, even the officials, even I mean, and the story is actually kind of uh, okay. Um, you know, landed without a scratch. Uh, um, I, I don't have an awful lot of issues with this story, um, a, a, as we often do with the mainstream media. But congratulations to pilot Eric, uh oh, Stasiowski. 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 Yeah. Um, what, what you said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, who uh, who uh, left Tampa International Airport bound for Fort Lauderdale. Uh, uh, when he experienced engine trouble, he tried to return to the airport. When he realized he couldn't make it, he looked for an area to land. He landed in the uh, football field of the Stewart Middle School. There was one line in here I liked. Where'd it go here? Um, oh, I know what it was. The, the reporter felt a need to point out that um, that he was pa- carrying non-hazardous materials on the airplane, um, which is just like, you know, have you stopped beating your wife kind of kind of statement, you know. It's like, well, of course he's got materials on it, and of course they're not, you know, I don't know why that makes, yeah, I, no, I, that I, phrase catches my, caught my attention. It's like, uh-huh. and, and, and Eric did win a track and field medal for the 210 dash. But anyways, yeah. congratulations. Well, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, excellent, excellent piloting, excellent airmanship, and, uh, you know, I, I have, I'm not going to play this video and, and, and see, you know, um, he obviously walked away with it. I don't know if there's any damage to the airplane, but... Uh, um, yeah, the, in the video, um, you actually see the aircraft in the background, um, and the, the gear collapsed is basically uh, what you see from that. Um, uh, but uh, they describe it as being relatively uneventful. There was no fuel leak. There was, uh, you know, I don't know whether the engine stopped. Um, I mean, if there was any, you know, engine stoppage kind of damage, but uh, um, but uh, there was a little well, bit. Said he, said he had engine trouble, so he may have already had some engine stoppage. Yeah, so the engine could have already not been turning, and uh, so. Uh, Anyways, congratulations, congratulations to Eric Stesniowski. On the other hand, he got great gas mileage. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, off your landing of the week two. Or, uh, or a couple of moments, anyway. Uh, is, uh, is a helicopter that uh, in uh, Plymouth Township, uh, what's MI, Missouri? Missouri. Michigan. Michigan. MI, Michigan. Michigan. All those MIs, MSs, MOs. Uh, um, uh, Michigan, Plymouth Township, Michigan. Uh, uh, officials from Federal Aviation Administration are probing a helicopter accident. Uh, 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 engine issues prompted the pilot to make an emergency landing. Uh, the what weird wording in this first part? This lead. The aviation-related <laughs> incident occurred uh, in the median of, two, of Interstate 275 Sunday afternoon. So uh, let's see. Pilot Robert Pierce was aboard his Bell 47 helicopter when the aircraft experienced mechanical issues just minute after departure, uh, and uh, he landed in the median strip of a uh, of uh, the interstate. 
um, according to the story, there were zero damage to the aircraft. Uh, he totally auto-rotated back in and touched down. And we see a picture of what presumably is this particular airplane sitting on the medium strip, and it looks no, 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 no. I that's, know that's helicopter. Yeah. 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 Now, a Bell 47 doesn't look anything like a Hughes 500, and that's a Hughes 500. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Mainstream media, finally, we've got a good example here. <laughs> another, another mainstream media aviation fail. <laughs> that's right. Uh, let's see now. I, ex- I had an unexpected you, engine. You, By the way, he, this is the pilot speaking, apparently. Uh, he says, I had an unexpected engine failure, as opposed to the expected kind. Uh, right. So... Uh, Anyways, good job. Congratulations, uh, even if it wasn't this helicopter. Um, good job to Robert Pierce for getting his helicopter down on the ground safely. And, and, and interesting, the, uh, the story was by Sandra Quinlan, Legal News for Michigan Aviation Accident Lawyers. That's the publication. Uh-huh. I see a lot of that stuff lately. It comes, comes to me through various means. Uh, it's always, um, hey, you know, uh, you with the law degree and the, and the bar admission, uh, uh, if you ever wanted to get into aviation uh, accident uh, um, um, litigation, you know, here are some great examples of, of uh, stuff you can try to chase. I don't know. Stuff makes me crazy. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 this, there's this whole run of links underneath mm-hmm. other news and press releases. Florida medical insurance news, teenage TBI victim denied rehab after crash. Uh, Todd hospitalized after mom accidentally ran over him. Uh, eight-year-old transported in van with prisoners. Mother's outraged. Uh, and, and on and on. And it's like, wow, an ambulance chaser's dream. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> well, under those circumstances, and I hadn't caught that, but under those circumstances, it's kind of impressive that this story is as even-handed as it is. Um, you might expect it to be more alarmist and, you know, looking for... Yeah, well, the no, they thing, played it extremely straight. Uh, you know, the other thing, of course, is, is you know, who, who is their copyright law attorney? <laughs> yeah. Because they're getting this from somebody, and uh, they're not... They're not I, I don't know that... Uh, oh, okay, you think they didn't the write legal, this story. That makes sense, sure. I don't yeah. know that the legal field is, is uh, employing journalists now to go out and... and uh, um, work up uh, news stories on various actions. Mm-hmm. If they are, I think you know maybe they should call me. But uh, I don't know. I, I see this a lot, and it's, it's very curious. It's, yeah. yeah. I know the thing that came, that caught my attention in this story. Um, there's an example of something in this story that you see all the time, and I'm beginning to wonder about this. They make reference to the fact that the FAA will be investigating this incident, all right? And you see that all the time. And I usually attribute that to just um, misinformation, that the mainstream media doesn't understand that it's the NTSB that investigates these things. But it it got me to thinking that we see this so often. Is there something else going on here? Am I right? It's the NTSB that investigates these things. Well, legally, the NTSB has the authority in the United States uh, to investigate accidents, aviation accidents, uh, those involving an aircraft. Uh, And the NTSB is the only entity in the United States with such authority. Um, Show me the FAA regulation that says the FAA has that authority, and I will buy you dinner. Um. The flip side of which is the NTSB routinely, especially involving uh, single-engine uh, um, single pistons and, and, and uh, light GA aircraft, routinely delegates to the FAA 
the authority to investigate the accident. Uh, usually goes to an inspector at the local FISDO, and uh, oh, they go okay. and survey the accident and, and do various things. Um, sometimes the NTSB gets involved. Uh, there's always an NTSB uh, um, investigator at one level or another delegated to at least administratively manage the, uh, the accident investigation. But frequently, uh, simply because for manpower reasons, um, that, that uh, responsibility is delegated to the FIA. Um, but I, I give it, you know, 50-50. Um, uh, is the reporter just routinely and, and by rote uh, putting that phrase into the story? Or did he or she actually um, speak with someone to verify that uh, that the FAA is investigating without acknowledging, <clears throat> excuse me, without acknowledging that uh, uh, the authority to do so was delegated by the NTSB. Hmm. And, okay. and there's a threshold below which uh, things are considered an incident, not an accident, and they're not even required to be reported. Right. Uh, you know, gear up landing, for example. Uh, well. Uh, a, a helicopter which loses its engine and and makes a successful off-field landing without any damage is not reportable to the NTSB. Uh, well, I was thinking somewhere that the engine failure itself was reportable, but that's an uh, FAA investigation, not an NTSB one. I don't. I don't think so. I, um, again, I hark back. You know. Now, let me let me preface. Um, the NTSB did recently change their reporting requirements, but. The, the upshot of all that had to do with, uh, you know, glass panels and, and, and failure modes and things of that sort. I, I think back to when I had my little engine failure, partial engine failure years ago. I sat down with NTSB Part 830 uh, very soon after that and, and read through it all. And, uh, yes, um, an off-field landing is, is often reportable when other damage occurs. Right. If it is a successful off-field landing without damage, to the airframe, the only, the only uh, um, problem with the aircraft is like you know the engine don't work. Um, then it's not reportable to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was basically it was a landing. Yeah, it was a landing. It just happened to right. not be on a runway. Right. Yeah. So. So. But that uh, that makes sense then. It, I wasn't aware that that NTSB delegated to the FAA, and so that would explain why a lot of these local news reporters would would say that because chances are there was an FAA person involved in investigating it and uh, and they well, didn't you know, I, go ahead no I said go ahead I, they just didn't push it any further they said oh FAA they, obviously that's who's doing it right and, and yeah it, 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 would, it would seem to be obvious to to uh, someone who knows anything about um, um, aviation uh, or, or, let me let me rephrase this um, it would seem to be obvious to anyone with a casual uh, knowledge of aviation that the FAA is the the regulatory entity responsible for for uh, uh, the enforcing the rules, but that doesn't necessarily translate into accident investigation. Yeah, interesting. There you go. Interesting. So, David, you're telling us here that the TSA is going to is considering making some changes to the uh, to the Reagan excuse me the National Airport. Um, uh, Thank you. GA security don't, plan? Don't you dare. <laughs> uh, what's going on, David? Are they really, is this real or is this just somebody lip service and they're really not going to make any changes? No, there's, uh, we, we all kind of remember the little recent episode with the 
the the Stearman that flipped over at National Airport for runway one. Mm-hmm. And it was part of a group of eight that were coming in to promote a new IMAX 3D movie premiere at the Air and Space Museum. Well, they had to go through a lot of hoops to get that to happen, and most of the hoops involved the uh, the, the security. Because normally, as Jeb pointed out when we talked about the, the steerman, normally aircraft coming in are uh, going to have uh, law enforcement on board, and they have to clear it at, at, at a uh, gateway airport, and the crew has to be vetted and all that stuff. Well, it's hard to have anything but a pilot and one other person on a steerman, uh, since there's only two seats. Right. Uh, about a year ago, our friends at the Transportation Security Administration, uh, the agency that we like to lambaste as totally stupid agency, uh, started to show some signs of sanity, and some of that sanity showed up in the in, in the person of uh, a gentleman named Brian DeLauder, who's the GA manager for TSA, actually has a general aviation background, pilot and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know well, who allowed that to happen, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Someone, something uh, slipped through the cracks. Yeah, there. yep. The, yeah, the uh, long and short of it is the guy has been working on easing some of the crazier craziness that was thrown up after uh, uh, the unfortunate attacks of September 11, 2001. Uh, the uh, constraints, I mean, what? how long was National closed? Three years, five years? To GA, to, to GA, uh, they didn't uh, open it back up under these uh, rules until '05. So going on uh, four years, going on four years, and the the restrictions are, you know, kind of over the top, but they do provide a, a, a system. Well, there's a lot of general aviation business that's still not using National Airport because of the hassles, because of the limitations that are imposed. Uh, num- numerical limitations for one, and a lot of powers that would be, including a lot of powerful people inside the Beltway, uh, lobbyists, members of Congress, uh, uh, and others would like easier access to National Airport, and they're working on the idea, uh, which is you know good news and progress in the right direction. The the mountain that DeLauder's got to climb uh, is in the form of the Secret Service and Department exactly. of Defense. And the FBI, uh, uh, primarily Secret Service and DOD, uh, but intent and desire, uh, and be insane about the mechanisms that can be put in place that will actually work. Like if you clear an aircraft at a gateway airport, watch it leave, and controllers track it all the way across country, and it doesn't land, you can be pretty solid in the fact that whatever was on the aircraft when it left is the only stuff on the aircraft when it arrives and not really need a sky marshal there to make sure that they don't stop and pick up a bad guy and well you know not being crazy and flying into a building there is no test for that so we're also seeing some progress in TSA actually getting a permanent administrator which would help progress on some other things like final issuance of the large aircraft security program uh, which got universally dumped on by the aviation community when it was released in late 08 right. so 
uh, you know, one step forward, maybe we'll see another step forward. Who knows? Sanity could spread. Jeb, this is your turf. What do you think? I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's I think it's smoke and mirrors and uh, uh, watch watch. It's diverted. Watch watch my right hand while my left hand slaps you upside the head. Um, um, good luck to this guy and and more power to him. Um, he's a braver man than I. Yada yada yada. But um, the Secret Service isn't going to allow this. Not without uh, some some kind of major concession. Um, they the the the, the air, aviation security bureaucracy has wholly invested itself in airline style security and any deviation from that protocol um, is to stick out one's neck and in a bureaucracy necks do not get stuck out mm -hmm. um, this will not fly in the near term you know down the road I would like to see you know all of this go away um, but it's not going to happen at least as long as, as um, we have uh, the Secret Service and we have the DOD and, and we have this, this um, paranoid mentality that um, uh, we have to uh, do all these things uh, as, a, as a result of 9-11 of uh, that we, um, oh, well, I, I don't want to go there. I mean, it, the whole thing is just uh, preposterous to me and... Uh, uh, is is you know chapter thirty seven uh, of the reasons I don't fly on airlines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. As, as little as possible, anyways. Yeah, right. Right. We we have seen some progress. I mean, remember at one point we were prohibited from flying over or near uh, uh, nuclear power plants that we weren't are. allowed to know the locations of. Well, yeah, they 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 finally allowed us to to uh, uh, to know the locations of it, but right. we 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 still are. Prohibited. We are also prohibited from, you know, being um, near a uh, an outdoor gathering, uh, some kind of a sports event uh, uh, with of more than, you know, what is it, twenty or thirty thousand people. Well, okay, how do we know that? If, if it has nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine, does that mean we can hover over it? Um, <laughs> the whole thing is just preposterous. And and you know, the, you mentioned the nuclear power plant thing. I I, I researched that at the time and and. Uh, they had a they had a, uh, a designation for an area that to be an area to be avoided under this uh, notum at the time um, of you know x number of miles uh, uh, z uh, direction from Raleigh Durham North Carolina. There is no such thing as Raleigh Durham North Carolina. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, there is a yeah. Raleigh North Carolina. There is a Durham North Carolina. There is a Raleigh Durham International Airport in North Carolina. But there's no such place as Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. It was just that kind of nonsense um, that is, is, is sort of, kind of, sort of, sorted itself out. Um, uh, but it's still there. And uh, we're oh, not going to yeah. be making any, any huge progress here. Um, I, I, one thing I, I have seen lately that, that gives me some satisfaction um, on, on one level and then some disgust and, and revulsion on the other level um, the, the Gulf of Mexico, uh, there's a series of TFRs uh, associated uh, with the recovery and, and uh, spill mitigation efforts out there. Um, and when, when President Obama was out there last week, there was a, another series of TFRs covering uh, uh, his movements and whatnot. All of this was uh, quickly 
accurately and cleanly charted by the FAA um, and, and made available to pilots for their planning purposes. Um, that's great. It's wonderful that they do that. Why in the hell it took them eight years, nine years, to come up with uh, the mechanisms for doing so is beyond me. Why they couldn't have done this at the time, uh, and, and we, have to, we had to wait and see uh, um, uh, them do this now, is, is uh, just uh, fantastic to me. Yeah. Shoutouts. So, David, you got some mail. What'd you get? What'd you get? Got, got, got the 2010 Air Venture NOTAM. Uh, which has some changes in it from last year. Oh yeah, and, uh, I have. What, 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 it, it summarizes the changes. Can you tell us what the well, summary of changes? One thing, is? the effective. For one thing, the effective period of the NOTAM has changed. It's oh, yeah. gotten a little longer. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. What? When does it start now? Well, it still starts on the uh, Friday before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it used to end at the end of the final air show basically, uh, on the last day. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it runs until noon the next day, the day mm-hmm. after. Till noon on Monday, really? Noon really? on Monday, yeah. Uh, and as for the rest of the changes, you, you're going to have to read up if you're coming and you read up. Yeah, cool. I, I, pl- I plan to leave on that Monday, but since it's it ends at noon, I'm still clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you definitely got to get your notum. Uh, we won't we won't belabor this too much today, but but we say it all the time. It's our mantra: make sure if you're flying into Oshkosh, get make sure you have the notum. Um, I'm not flying into Oshkosh this year, I don't think, but I have put the notum on my iPad uh, as a uh, as a PDF. So uh, I've got my notum available and ready and carrying it with me everywhere I go. Well, then you can. Uh you you still got a chance to get a hard copy in the mail, or you can do it the quick and dirty slam dunk instant download way on the net. Yeah. Quick shout out to uh, First Landings Aviation in uh, Orlando, apparently, uh, who have added a, uh, a Piper Sport LSA to their uh, training and rental line. And uh, I mentioned this, uh, I don't know, last episode or the episode before, that uh, I'm happy and, uh, and thrilled to call attention to... Uh, LSAs that are available for rental. Jeb, you were going to do some research. Actually, I didn't bring this up in order to, to ping you, Jeb, but you said you were going to look into a little bit. You had the sense that there were LSAs were more available than we all thought. Have you had any I, I'll, take, I'll have to take a homework assignment on that. I haven't okay. had a chance to, to delve um, into it. But, uh, and I haven't done any, any, uh, any uh, formal research on the subject, but just kind of chatting with folks, I, I stick with my original statement that they oh. are hard to come by. And uh, um, so, anyways, congratulations and thank you to First Landings Aviation, who have added a Piper Sport. They apparently already had a Remos G3 uh, on their line, so uh, they are supporting LSA. And uh, if you're in the central, would you call that central Florida, Orlando? I'm not sure. Um, the Orlando, Florida area. Uh, That's pretty central, yeah. Okay. And you'd like Orlando. to fly uh, an LSA, um, among other places, I'm sure, check out First Landings Aviation. What else? Any other shout-outs here? Uh, David, you've got your name on this other one, too, here. Uh, yeah, real, real quick, to Dan's Music UK1, or Dan G, who, uh, who uh, last Friday uh, on the 11th made his first post on the forums page, and he's a Chicago transplant now living in England, who got his license in the UK uh, at Seething Airfield. And uh, I, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. We hear a lot about 
Europeans and, and, and our friends from uh, uh, the U.K. coming to the United States to train. I don't often hear about Americans getting their licenses after they've moved overseas. And then it made me wonder, I wonder how many other UCAP listeners there might be in the U.K. and whether they'd want to meet up with Dan G. sometime. Anyway, and then I noticed Dan's photograph has him with uh, these lovely ladies that fly as part of a steerman team in the U.K. And I thought, well... He's doing it right. Wait a minute. There's a photograph with lovely, lovely ladies? Oh, okay. I see. It's his little uh, forum's avatar. Yeah. His avatar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. It's his little avatar there. So I recognize the ladies in the uniforms, and I don't. I apologize. I don't remember the name of their team, but uh, they're very big over there. Isn't that the wing-walking thing we talked about about a couple of years yeah. ago? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's the yeah, one. We need, a, we need a mechanism here on the website, so, Jack, just to have FYI, to blow up. The avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Okay. So welcome to the neighborhood, Dan, and uh, maybe some other uh, uh, UCAP listeners in the UK uh, can connect with you, and and uh, we'll hear about a uh, UCAP UK meetup someday. And congratulations on the license. I don't know absolutely. about the uh, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. I don't know about the larger avatars. I do want to make one comment about the uh, about the forums. Now that you mention it, um, you said first time poster. There haven't been a lot of first time posters recently because this is my bad. I just don't deserve to live. I don't know. Um, I've fallen way behind on approving new uh, forums participants, um, and I just apologize profusely. And one of these days, I promise you I'm going to get caught up. Those of you who are waiting in the queue to be approved, um, please, please be patient just a little bit longer, and we'll get you there. Wire him an email. Why do we need to approve them? So that we can be certain that they aren't nasty, awful spammers. Um, it's, it's a process that we had to put together because we were getting... We get, I don't know, we get a couple hundred a week um, foreign forum registrants who are spammers obviously spammers and uh are these, are these bots or are these probably or? i don't know who the heck knows um but uh um they, they, they i don't know because there is a bot protection system in there you're supposed to type in one of the what do they call it a uh a captcha captcha thing um but uh there are lots and we get a lot of of what are obviously spammers uh, just about anybody that comes from a dot ru domain um, oh sure yeah, yeah. Um, so we had to institute this thing where where we uh, there's a couple of confirmation emails and the problem is that it requires me to get in there and do these things periodically. Um, I'm about to and this is my unofficial way of announcing this. I'll put this on the forums, but I, I'm going to solicit a volunteer to help us to see if anybody might be willing to become sort of a forums editor or something like that um, because clearly I don't have the bandwidth to uh, keep up with this and uh, maybe a listener who would like to get involved. Um, could help us out with that. But more on that later on. At this point, please, please just accept my apologies for how long it's taken to get a bunch of he, folks approved. And, and he or she gets free lifetime subscription to all of the UCAP podcast. That's right, exactly. Well, we can probably dig up a coffee mug. Yeah. Oh, maybe. you guys keep That's doing this. Now we're going to have to make more coffee mugs. Gee whiz. Yeah, we, you know, I don't know. This is how we had to, this is the only reason we have coffee mugs is because Jeb made a wild and crazy offer. <laughs> and and uh, all right, we need more coffee mugs anyways. So, yeah. Um, watch the forums uh, for some information about this if you're interested in giving us a hand. Um, and again, my apologies. Any other shout outs? I'm dead. Okay. Yeah, me too. Hey Dave, good talking with you. Uh, Dave is a uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? 
Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, uh, davehigdon.biz, or uh, just do a Google and remember that I'm not into golf and I've forgotten most of the physics I've ever learned. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a good place to start. Uh, AEA.net is another place. Uh, JEBurnside.com is a personal website. And, of course, you can Google me. Just ignore all that stuff about the goats. I deny that categorically. But you are a little stressed about it, obviously. Uh, And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com, at my uh, non-aviation blog, and c.blogspot.com, or aroundthefield.net. Thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earle and to the uh, many other listeners who have created the uh, fun disclaimer clips that we use in the podcast. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just $10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you really going to say? There's a good way to get to be an old and crotchety pilot. Let's go flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Mm, Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. How's lost wages? Uh, it's it's okay. I've only been here a couple of days, but uh, uh, and I, I'm I, I usually found a couple of days in, in lost wages to be quite sufficient. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, and I've only really had a chance had about uh, a one and a half evenings to uh, to get out and do anything. So it's really like I've only been here a little while. Mostly, I've been in in one of the big uh, convention center rooms at the here at the uh, yeah. hotel. Yeah. So. Uh, that doesn't count, but uh, I did go out wandering around a little bit last night, and uh, I've completely blown through my entire gambling uh, uh, bankroll so far already. All right. Already? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. down four four dollars. I'm down four dollars. That's like how much? How much did you start with? Just out of curiosity. Well, that's what I mean. I started with four dollars. Ah, <laughs> okay. Strangely okay. enough, I I get I've become very casual over the years about carrying cash. You know, once upon a time, you went on a trip. You know, one of the things you did was you went out and got you know. Not, Sometimes right. not only cash, you'd go get your like traveler's checks, you know. Uh-huh, and in uh-huh. this day and age of ATMs, I've become very and, and you know, most living most of your life out of your plastic anyways, your credit cards, I've become very casual. Well, I arrived in Las Vegas with four dollars in my pocket. <laughs> and so the first evening I was here, you know, I, I was kind of like I was still recovering from the from the travel and uh, but I, w- I went down to the casino and uh um, and I went up to the, the ATM machines they have in the casino here. All right? uh-huh. You do not want to get your money out of the ATM machines. Oh, I figured that part out a long time here ago. Here in the casino, yep. all right, because yep. they just, you know, um, I mean, you know, roaming ATM machines are bad enough anyways, but here in the casinos. So all I had was $4. So I was like putting my little $4 into, the, uh, into my, uh, my video what, poker what, machine. What's the fee that they're hitting you for? Oh, it was five. It's like five bucks or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, well, I was going to get a hundred dollars, and uh, um, I think, as I recall, the fee was like two dollars plus three percent of whatever you were withdrawing. So that would come uh-huh. to about five dollars. Uh-huh. 
Um, and it's a good thing if you're doing ATM. If you're doing a credit card cash advance, it's insane. <laughs> oh, those are dangerous. Uh, I would, they have a little table, and I think it's like like if you, if I wanted my hundred dollars out of a credit card advance, it was like twenty bucks. It was nuts. So anyway, so I only had four dollars, and uh, but uh, then last night evening was my second evening here, and I actually left the grounds and went off and found a regular old bank ATM, and uh, got myself some cash. So. Yeah, I was going to say they we we encountered that in New Orleans. Uh, lots of ATM machines in uh, restaurants and bars and, and and scattered around in public areas. Uh, most of them three bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you could hit a bank that was related to one of yours, well, our bank covers our ATM fees anyway. So oh, we nice. found one half between our hotel and the wedding hotel where it was only two bucks. But, but then we got two bucks credit back from our bank. So, Really? Yeah. I want, I want that bank. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that advertised in different parts of the, the country. You know, we'll, we'll cover your roaming ATM fees. And it's like, There's okay. got to be a limit to that. They can't be, I can't imagine they're going to pay these crazy casino ATM fees. There probably is. There probably is. Yeah. Probably is. Our, ours just—it uh, was—it was a benefit tacked on because of the kind of accounts that we have with our bank. I see. Uh, Senior like, well, citizen. Very cool. I can hear the listeners now screaming at their iPods. Talk about aviation. Aviation. Um, well, money—you know—that money is what makes airplanes <laughs> fly. So, I mean, it's we true. are tangentially, anyway, talking about aviation. Spending money is a very important subset of aviation. Uh, it's not lift over drag. It's not magic. It's moolah. 